0: Hello and welcome to Coin Talk, the official show of the Bitcoin theoretical bottom. I'm Aaron Lammer. Uh, to be joined shortly by Jay Kang. We're brought to you by Medium. Uh, hey, they have some uh, some gift subscriptions available for Christmas. Give uh, a year of Medium to someone you love. Fifty bucks. Medium dot com slash gift.
1: This episode of Coin Talk
0: was taped Sunday, December second, at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was four thousand one hundred and thirty-one dollars. Okay, Jay. Hello. Hey.
2: How is it going?
0: Good. Uh, well, I mean, price-wise, bad. But uh, that was true last time, so uh, nothing to cry over here. It's it's over $4,000. It's stably right around $4,000.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I guess Ethereum right now is at $116. Do you have Ethereum right now, or did you sell it off?
0: I'm about one-third in Ethereum. Okay,
2: if you don't mind saying, what did you get it at?
0: I mean, all the way down. I mean, the best buys were at like 0.027, which is like where we are now, or we're a little bit above that. How many dollars is that? Oh, I'm not, that that I won't be disclosing. Oh, how many (laughs) dollars was that? Uh, It was higher, but it was also when Bitcoin was higher. So it was at about the same relative price to Bitcoin. I think it was uh, was like 300. No, it was closer to like 180 or something like that. Oh, that's funny. not so. Bad. I, I haven't been holding uh, Ethereum the whole time. When it got really, really low, I was like, "Well, if I think both things are going to recover, I wouldn't mind being a bit in Ethereum because it's really quite low against Bitcoin."
2: Okay, I don't want to talk about the market too much, but I did yeah, have one far, question, right? which is like, you know, we—I think we talked about this a little bit before, but I was thinking about it last night, which is. Uh, all these Ethereum projects that are in the Ethereum amusement park, as we like to say it, all these yeah. projects that are being built out on it. Do you think that there is any indication that there might be a that, that that the crash in these prices might actually lead to a stalling of the development of some of these projects? Because absolutely, so much of the liquid liquidity that they have, so much of the assets that these places have, so many of the ways in which they paid people out. Was all through Ethereum, right? And I think that if you have like a software engineer who, when Ethereum was ten times what it is now, which really wasn't that long ago, or it was more than ten times like what it is now, right? It was uh, like
0: briefly. fifteen
2: times at some point. Yeah, that that person probably is maybe looking for another job right now. I mean, I, I have to imagine that that sort of stuff is going on.
0: I mean, um, Steam it, you know, Steam. Yeah. The, they just like fired 70 per 70% of the people working there.
2: Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, I, I bet those like a lot of those people also might have gotten doubly fucked because uh they might have a lot of Ethereum as well.
0: Well, is <laughs> so, is Steam a ERC20 co- uh token? I don't know.
2: Well, I imagine that they're getting paid in some form of cryptocurrency, don't you think?
0: Um, yes. I mean, it really doesn't matter. No matter what was going on there, it's not good for the people who are working there. And I feel like additionally, so you know what's happening right now with mining, where basically mining is like, it costs more to make a new Bitcoin than it's worth. And this will continue until the difficulty algorithm adjusts. But until then, people are either mining at a loss or they theoretically could shut down their equipment and wait it out. In the case of companies, it seems like companies like Steam, which is like a writing, you get paid for writing and the readers tip you, it's not even a huge universe away from like the civil kinds of stuff which I think we're going to talk about later. But um those kinds of projects at a certain point if you take enough out of the economy, the the economy just collapses. Like it can't pay the people to maintain the site. Yeah. And I don't know feel like we have still have a long way to the bottom with some of these companies because they raised a lot of money, um, but if Steam can be broke, gotta imagine a lot of people might be.
2: I think that the saving grace of a lot of these companies is that they probably have either a high percentage of true believers or they don't really have that many employees. <laughs> And I think that maybe that's why these types of stories aren't coming out.
0: Well, I mean, truly decentralized projects shouldn't rely on having like a huge salary pool for employees forever. No, I I agree. agree. There's a bit of like a weird mix and match between sort of startup style companies and companies that are like far closer to like a protocol where it could be just uh, maintained on an open source basis. So I think we're both generally a little like suspicious of the companies that are treating this more like a startup kind of work I, atmosphere. I, I
2: agree. I, I'm not so worried about them. What yeah. I, I imagine that all of those are going through tough times. What I'm more worried about is the talented software engineer who maybe a year and a half ago started working in the crypto space and you know uh, has gotten wrecked and a lot of his payments were in cryptocurrency. If that person is just moving on because like I was thinking that if there was a time to have a brain drain out of crypto, it would probably be about right now, right, where things just look bad and where like all the news is bad. And you can say that that's been happening for a while, but I imagine that this isn't like some sort of breaking point, but that there probably have been people leaving the space for a while. One of the examples of that, I think, is the first thing that we wanted to talk about today, right, Which which is civil. The, our old friend that we yeah, seemingly can't we, get away we,
0: from. Um, we promised to never talk about Civil on the show. Thus, <laughs> we're talking about it repeatedly, though it is presently uh, dead, at least as a initial fundraising foray. So go back and listen to the Civil episode if you haven't. Civil was supposed to be a offering for a journalism token that was going to power Civil newsrooms. One of the publications is Popula. We've had Maria Bustillos from Popula on here. Definitely some true believers in the civil camp. And additionally, uh, definitely some people who were a bit overconfident and in an ICO that didn't really appeal to the ICO market.
2: Yeah, and also I would say there's a lot of people in the journalism side who were just trying it out. You know, that they, sure. they were probably a little bit more risk-tolerant than... Your average journalist, or you know, they're maybe even risk tolerant isn't the right way to put it. Like they're just people who are willing to give this thing a shot, but not.
0: You're talking about the early employees right now, not the investors. No, I'm talking about uh,
2: like people who were, you know, like people who are starting podcasts on, you know, and they're funded by civil or yeah, who started publications that are started founded by civil. Not all those are true believers. A lot of them were people who were. Hoping to break the, you know, <laughs> the endless cycles of poverty that, that befall <laughs> journalists. But also I think that there are probably people who are like crypto curious. And sure. all those people right now are probably less crypto curious or maybe crypto angry because it hasn't gone particularly well.
0: So what came out is one disgruntled employee who left said, look, a bunch of the salary that I was promised was in the CVL token. And I was led to believe that this token was going to be worth a bunch when uh, this fundraising inevitably worked. And I certainly, uh, I would not have ever advised someone this. Nothing we advise uh, people on this show is in any way advice. And if you've listened to the show for long enough, uh, you'll know that you should always bet against Jay and I. But additionally, no one really knows whether one of these projects is going to work if they were truly leading the people who worked there to believe that this was like a done deal, that seems pretty sad.
2: Yeah. And I mean, who knows? I mean, this is one person's report, and sure. we don't have reason to believe or disbelieve the report. But I like my gut feeling is that there were probably a lot of things that were said that were pretty vague, you know, sure. and they could be interpreted. However, The person wanted to interpret them and maybe they're not legally binding as being promises of price, but I tend to believe that, you know, it is not unreasonable. Like the person who came away with that conclusion was probably not being completely unreasonable. And I also don't think that civil was probably being as forthright as they could be. Like, I mean, it's just the way that these things work always, you know, it's not just in crypto, but in any type of new enterprise where some amount of money is promised in the future based on something that everybody who's working there obviously thinks is a sure thing, but which might not actually be a sure thing. And maybe when they, you know, the other thing is like, maybe when they said that thing, right, which was in the height of the ICO boom, it probably was a little bit more of a sure thing that it became. Sure. I mean,
0: look, I mean, I, I feel bad uh, for anyone who like got uh, denied 70% of their salary. Anyone who is taking that much of their salary in any kind of a token, should have been advised that that was a pretty risky move. Um, I mean, when we're talking about startup compensation in terms of options, it can be a lot of money, but it's usually not as a pure replacement for your salary. It's the incentive that gets you into a tech company like some kind of a startup uh, is that there's this massive options upside in addition to a salary. So I was always a little bit like weirded out by how the whole civil thing wor- works because the newsrooms are up and running. And I guess that money comes from consensus, but it sounds like some of the money wasn't really coming from consensus. It was coming from a uh, future value on the token.
2: Yeah. Which is uh, too bad. I mean, look, every, <laughs> everyone who works at a startup uh, in Silicon Valley or wherever in New York, Austin. Yeah even in like Las Vegas or any of these, like you could, you and I could start a startup tomorrow. Our employees, you go in whenever you get options or you get stock as part of your compensation, you go in taking a risk, you know? And I think it is reasonable to say that if anyone went in to that type of system and the stock in question was not stock, but it was a cryptocurrency, then they would probably be thinking this was a lot of risk. But... You know, I don't know. Like, it, journalism is str- in a strange place right now. And I don't know how I feel about it. Like, there's everybody's getting laid off, you know? The demands for labor organization are much higher, not in terms of like that more people want it, but it just seems like people are much more strident about making sure that their shops are unionized. There's almost no money coming in. And it seems like a very difficult position because I tend to agree that. Workers in media need more protections than they have. And I sympathize with the young people who are organizing these things. But, you know, like there's just no money and these places are just going to keep shutting down. And I I just don't know what to do about it because like you like Mike.com, for example, shut everything down recently. Right. Uh, This week, Uh, I think they laid off their entire editorial staff and the people at Mike were trying to unionize. And I think that instead of of having that happen, they just basically jettisoned everybody. And I I just don't know how to stop that from happening because uh, unless like everybody in media across the board becomes unionized on on one idea, but I find that hard to believe.
0: But doesn't like, doesn't, I mean, I don't think unionization really answers, at least in this case, the central question, which is where's the money coming from? Like in trying to build civil, uh, trying to build multiple decentralized newsrooms, you're trying to change the ownership structure and the yeah. revenue structure, but there still always has to be like an input of cash like on one end. like the cash no, has agree. to flow in. And whether it's this or Mike or whatever, at a certain point, it's not going to matter if the like there's like solidarity amongst the workers if all of these schemes, basically outside of some sort of a weird, a lotto ticket in the form of an ICO have no real financial basis. I mean, that's sort of how it feels in the wake of this civil thing is the only real chance civil had was dub money was people to pump ridiculous ICO money. And otherwise this was going to fail and these people weren't going to get paid.
2: And it certainly wasn't going to be like the tip system or, you know, some version of like bat where, you know, basic attention token where, people are going to quickly use this as an economy to supplant parts of people's salaries. Like it just, that type of ecosystem takes years to develop and it just isn't convenient or usable, you know, as like uh, Josh Benton in the, uh, what was it, the Neiman labs? guy? Yeah. Like he seemed to detail, he detailed that very well that the idea that this thing was going to float on anything outside of like ICO speculation was like Now, in retrospect, it just seems like there's no chance that was ever going to
0: happen, right? Jay, can I pose a hypothetical for you? Yeah. Let's say Civil, the whole apparatus comes out a year earlier. So the token sale is kind of like right when we're getting into crypto. It's when every ICO is, is going through the moon. There's like all these guys with scammy YouTube channels telling you which ICOs to buy. Let's I, say I feel
2: like you're pointing at one person, and I don't appreciate it. So let's <laughs> keep because I I enjoyed his YouTube presence, but let's keep him unnamed. Um, so
0: it totally works. It sells out on the first day, like every stupid ICO was selling out yeah. on the first day during the ICO boom. And let's say this is at a uh, much lower Ethereum. This is at like Ethereum 200. Then Ethereum shoots up to a thousand dollars. Let's say some very prescient. Several newsrooms like start going to Fiat and funding themselves for the year. This feels like the only way that this was possibly going to work. Like, yeah, I only, I only think it could work that way, and I don't think it was even unreasonable to think it might have worked that way because it would have worked that way if they'd come out a year earlier.
2: Do you remember when Ethereum was around four hundred or five hundred dollars, and Brian Armstrong from what's it called Coinbase? Um, Coinbase said. I wish that there was a way to donate Ethereum without and make sure that the charities that you donate to keep it in Ethereum and gas. Yeah, yes. yeah, and that was one of our point. early topics: charity <laughs> <Yeah>. hodling. <laughs> charity hodling. <laughs> <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> 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 His essential point was that because the price of Ethereum can only go up, that like he wishes that he, these stupid people who run nonprofits wouldn't keep selling the Ethereum because if they had only known. That the loss of physics make it only possible for the price of Ethereum to always go up, and that, you know, they would constantly be appreciating the amount of money that they have. I think that is a mentality behind a lot of this stuff, right? Like yeah. that was the assumption. And maybe for a while, like it was almost reasonable to believe that. And maybe and I actually do think that if that had happened, and, you know, like at least based on some inside sources. And based on a lot of the news that have come out, like they didn't really have restrictions on when these people could dump these coins. And so let's say the ICO sells out and the price spikes 4x and it goes on Cryptopia and it goes on like KuCoin. Maybe it even makes it to Binance. Those people could have cashed out for a lot of money. And I think that's what everyone who was involved in it was hoping for. And it just didn't work out. Uh, in fact, it was like the opposite of working out. Yeah, it and, really,
0: really didn't even come close to working out. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you about a different dimension to this uh, civil debacle? Yeah. When I first heard about Consensus, and Consensus is uh, based in Bushwick and it's run by Joe Lubin, who's the I think rumored to be the largest Ethereum holder. I thought like Consensus had a bunch of different projects, like this massive umbrella of projects and it kind of didn't give a shit about any specific one of them. So something like civil failing, who cares? Like we have 40 projects coming out this year. Now that civil actually has failed, it feels to me a little bit like consensus is taking it harder than I expected them to. It seems like they really did try to prop up the sale and are kind of still like, you know, like when someone like really badly loses a football game, but tries to give like the really positive press conference. Like There's kind yeah. of a weird, desperate vibe coming out of Consensus about Civil. Well,
2: it was their most highly publicized thing. Was it? Right? Okay,
0: I think I didn't realize that at the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, not I mean, not even just in terms of maybe it's not their most supported thing in terms of the stuff that they put the most manpower or money behind. Biggest
0: press event.
2: But it certainly is because it's a journalism startup and because it sort of drew in a lot of people who have, you know, who are notable, like it was going to get the most press coverage of anything. And you know, I, I think that they're trying to do damage control because if the sentiment out there in the press is that every ICO, every Ethereum project, every big flagship announcement is garbage and is, you know, going to be instantly compared to civil, then that's a big problem for consensus, right? Yeah. And I think it's a problem that they can't explain away, honestly, like how, how could they explain it away? Like none of these people, even if the project is real, are going to sort of lose their association with civil because they're, you know, they're the (laughs) people, you basically took a big bet trying to like go straight into the viper's nest and convert, uh, everybody, you know, and you just did it. (laughs) In fact, you just made it all a lot worse. So I, I think they do probably have a big problem in their hands in terms of PR going into the future.
0: I mean, I think the only thing that wipes clear the memory of this is a success, and that was the only like a hit was the only is the only thing that's going to ultimately save consensus or anything else. So yeah. it continues to be bad news until we hear some good news. Is kind of how all this stuff feels right now. I'm sure they feel like they've got some you know cards up their sleeve and things coming down the pipeline. But right now, it feels pretty barren.
2: Speaking so of news, like this is actually something that I think that you and I were have talked about, sort of obliquely on the show. There is this report uh, that came out that was called "Mainstream Media Sentiment Towards Cryptocurrency." Did you see this?
0: Yeah, it did. I, I almost feel like you could have been the author of this.
2: <laughs> by J.K. Well, it has a lot of charts in it. Which yeah, not no, it's got more of an in- infographics
0: appeal. Thought maybe you'd gotten <laughs> some of those like interns from Vice News that you still knew and been like, "You guys put together a graphics package for me."
2: Listen, I don't want to slander those interns, but uh, I, whenever I asked anybody to put together a graphics package, <laughs> at Vice News, it was not the easiest thing.
0: Graphics are tough.
2: It wasn't because they weren't working hard, but it was generally because it was like four hours before air. And I'd be like, listen, we need to uh, chart out all this stuff on a big math. And they'd look at me and be like, we have eight other things to do.
0: <laughs> so um, I think really like how the mainstream media covers Bitcoin has been of a bit of a pet obsession for us. Yeah. And I've never, like, I think we've gone back and forth on how much we think it matters to the price of Bitcoin into bitcoin's future and this study would suggest it kind of does
2: yeah so let's let's uh let's throw the caveats out there first the first is that like we this thing is not vetted it's not oh god peer-reviewed it's not you know i would not say that it's that it's complete advocacy and you know dumb data science that we should throw out the window but you know it, it is based on Pretty arbitrary ideas.
0: Yeah, and it's based on automated sentiment analysis, which is like yeah. um, kind of garbage anyway. So giant, giant. Okay, aspect. so
2: let me read a little bit right. of it to you, okay? And I want you to respond. Um, the, the introduction, we can just show, tell you what they set out to do, which is, From the time of their creation, cryptocurrencies have existed in uneasy symbiosis with the media outlets that cover them. Despite the opportunities for mutual benefit, the crypto community and major news outlets have frequently found themselves at odds. After all, reports first fueled Bitcoin's rise from an idealistic experiment to blockchain behemoth. Today, as new cryptocurrencies compete for investors' attention daily, coverage can make the difference between ascendance and irrelevance. As for reporters, crypto is a subject matter worth salivating over which other beat could offer so many compelling characters and rags-to-riches narratives? Agree. Roger Ver, as we said in last episode, is a great
0: character. Lots of great characters, and they haven't gone anywhere.
2: Yeah, and they so they go on to say that what they tried to do is study the complicated relationship between cryptos and the publications that have covered them, and they don't say that they are basically saying any sort of causation, right? No. They're not saying that one thing leads to another, but they want to see if there's any correlation and what they generally found is that uh at the very beginning most of the coverage of bitcoin was positive
0: you yeah kind of like what's bitcoin I,
2: yeah i don't know if i believe that because uh you know i just spent three hours playing sea of thieves with adrian chen famous no-coiner <laughs> i <Yeah>. don't know <laughs> I, I think it doesn't
0: like, <laughs> i think being like mockingly positive still counts as positive because was it wasn't like positive. it wasn't like Adrian was like Bitcoin's <laughs> going to destroy the world and like use up a bunch of like energy and it's like fascist. He was just kind of like, ha, this is so dumb. I think he did say all those things. I feel like that came later. At that point, he was just like, this is dumb.
2: Okay, I don't know. If this is dumb. Is yeah. uh, mockingly positive. It seems like mockingly negative. But no. But um, like, we'll who are
0: just... who are the majority of the people who were covering like Bitcoin in the early days? It I was mean, like Adrian, the business press. Right? No, but like it was the business press, kind of like lightweight, like who are these Bitcoiners, kind of stuff. Yeah, it wasn't okay, going to be well, heavily let's, critical because people didn't know what it was.
2: Let's 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 take them at their word. Um, let's believe them for a while, and they're basically saying that. As Bitcoin went up, skipped uh, in price and spiked in price at, you know, the end of last year that the press coverage swung, right? Yeah. And that when it was at its peak, it had basically equalized or was uh, equal positive and equal negative articles. I think the negative articles are probably stuff like, you know, well, Jamie Dimon says this thing is a scam, you know? Like, yeah, I, think that's, I mean,
0: uh, there was the whole, it's a pyramid scheme, it's a bubble, like, Think about how yeah. many of those are probably Dutch tulip stories. It's probably like twenty-five percent Dutch tulip stories on the negative yeah. side.
2: you could just do it by searching Dutch tulip like that. You could yeah. find all of the negative ones because they all use that yeah. metaphor. So Maybe the swing point <laughs>
0: right. is is twenty sixteen. At, at twenty sixteen, it switches from the light side to the oh, dark yeah, yeah, side. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's a big moment. I mean, and that's kind of like right as we're about to get into Bitcoin. And Mid-2017,
2: articles expressing negative sentiment grew more common. This trend was fueled in part by grim prognostications from the likes of Warren Buffett and Mark Cuban, who guessed that a bubble was underway. And then now, you know, as everything crashed, the negative articles multiply. And now they say that almost everything is negative, right? Right. Like yep. uh, d- does that does that generally match up with with how you experienced it being a person who was? Into I mean, crypto? I
0: have I haven't heard a positive uh, mainstream media narrative about Bitcoin uh, in 2018, really.
2: Yeah, me neither. I can't remember one. I can't like, remember uh, one.
0: And I would say we follow the news pretty closely. We are like also follow like a lot of the writers pretty closely. Some of them listen to the show. Some of the people who cover. Crypto for the mainstream media. I'm not like trying to break the fourth wall and talk directly to them, but I don't even know what the positive story would be. I mean, I can enumerate the negative stories, which are, I would say, at this point, pretty well established and aren't like breaking particularly new ground, but you can always bring out the sort of like irresponsible stories, the electricity stories. What is the counterbalancing? Like, if you had to write a Super positive story about Bitcoin right now. What would it be in the mainstream media? I don't know.
2: Maybe that our wonderfully entertaining and erudite podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's tough. (laughs) Yeah, and you, I remember, would bring up in early episodes that you know there's no messaging apparatus for Bitcoin. Bitcoin does not, um, you know, publicize itself. But I don't think it's really just a Bitcoin problem. Are there really any like positive like altcoin narratives going right now?
2: No, no, no. I mean, like people like Charlie Lee have kind of disappeared, you know? Um, the people who used to be the face of these types of projects are not heard from as much as they were. I don't know why. I think it's probably they're just like rich and being like, well, that was great. No, I, <laughs> I think
0: no one like, look, these people like, were the most visible at the top. And yeah. um, if you bought Litecoin at the top, if you bought Ripple at the top, if you bought Bitcoin at the top, if you bought Ethereum at the top, if you bought anything at the top, or even really during any of 2018 or 2017, you're probably underwater right now and you're probably not like, oh, I can't be wait to be entertained by uh, the thought leaders of crypto.
2: Okay. Um, I Sure. I I did find something that was interesting in this, which I did not expect. And it was, you know, I wanted to ask you about it because they don't really have a good explanation for it. Even though, you know, I don't think it's their job to have an explanation. They just want to present the data. And it's that when they look through all the articles written on crypto... They say that the outlets that skew liberal, and for examples, they have like CNN or the LA Times or the New York Times or Uproxx. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Which I get. laughs> shout out to Uproxx. I, I like this list. Stephen Hayden,
0: uh, formerly of Grantland, great music writer. I think he's over there at Uproxx. Yeah, so sh- yeah, shouts yeah. to Stephen Hayden.
2: Yeah. That, that generally, actually, it's not even generally, by a quite a significant margin, that liberal leaning. Publications had much more positive coverage of crypto than conservative, and for conservative, they're talking about Fox News, Breitbart, and the Daily Caller. Like, what, what do you think that? What do you think is to count for that? I'm a little
0: surprised by that too. I mean, I guess it depends what you consider the set of uh, conservative publications. If you're talking about the National Review as opposed to, say, Alex Jones, then maybe.
2: But, yeah or like the Ron Paul newsletter or stuff like I mean like you know like I'm not even being facetious yeah, here. Yeah.
0: I guess it depends if you exclude fringe conspiracy and libertarian conservatives from the conservative mix cuz certainly I hear very little of positivity towards Bitcoin from sort of the business conservative wing, the Wall yeah. Street Journal wing, the Wall Street wing, the sort of markets thinkers wing. So I would agree that from that Part of the publishing world. Uh, it's been a long time since I've heard anything positive about Bitcoin. It doesn't even seem like there's a lot of enthusiasm around any of this like ETF um, sort of official Wall Street products stuff as there was a year ago. Yeah, I think the SEC said that until like the exchange cleaned up, they wouldn't even consider an ETF. So uh, not a lot of good news.
2: I, th- I think that the definition that they have of conservative is off. Yeah, You know, like something like Reason Magazine, which is a libertarian publication, which I would say is certainly more like reputable and journalistically sound than like Breitbart or The Daily Caller. Like that's that's a conservative publication, you know? Like I don't know if they would consider themselves that, but they certainly aren't liberal and they certainly aren't centrist, you know? And they're very supportive of cryptocurrencies. And so I I don't know. I, I just think that there's something maybe wrong with their data. But like, again, if we take it at face, I I just think that maybe cryptocurrencies were covered more by left-leaning outlets than right-leaning outlets. And that maybe that has to do with it. Maybe there's just a smaller sample size.
0: I think it's just negative across the board. I mean, it's not like I really think CNN is like a bastion of liberal reporting. That's like, Wacky, like Hall of Mirrors 2018 going into 2019. But just in general, I don't think it really matters where you look. People are just going to keep pointing out the problems of crypto. They're not going to be swayed. Like, there's not a dominant narrative about it, like really uh, helping the world, unless some of these narratives around like the Venezuela, like stabilization of currencies kind of stuff. I think those stories could become bigger. But right now, it's a little murkier.
2: I think right now, basically, there's people are also ignoring it a little bit. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, there's not really anything to talk about except people going broke. And how many of those stories can you really tell? I don't know. I, I think the idea that people got totally scammed on this and they, people like, have mortgages now and took out like third and fourth mortgages to to buy cryptocurrency and then went broke off of it. I don't know. Like I I, I just I think that you can tell that story
0: twice. It's all just look, it's all the same story in the stock market and people are doing the same like wacky shit on the stock market. And the stock market's also not interesting when it's low. People want to read about the stock market when it's surging through new records and various people are trying to take credit for it and there's fights happening. People just don't want to hear about it like on the like low side. And you know, I don't totally buy into the like this is really the important time, build all but I do kind of think it makes sense to have like hype cycles followed by miniature deaths followed by hype cycles. And I can't really predict what the next hype cycle will look like, but it doesn't feel likely to me that like, there isn't going to be at least one more narrative about this stuff.
2: Yeah. It might, it might take like a world changing event for that to happen. But you know, the nice thing about world changing events is that they happen quite frequently. It's definitely going to take
0: something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's
2: not going to just be like people being like, oh, yeah, remember Bitcoin? Yeah, (laughs) that was cool. (laughs) Um, But just to end this section here, like their conclusion is essentially and, you know, like I find this to be super mushy and unsatisfying and maybe not true. Whatever your own biases may be, the influence of press reports on cryptocurrencies is difficult to ignore. In traditional domains of finance, it's long been understood that media can move the market, but in an industry in its infancy, the press may be particularly powerful. Before you make investments based on the latest hot take you've read online, consider the ideological disposition of the article's author, as well as the the, (laughs) position. See, this is where it falls apart for me. Shots fired. Yeah, this is where...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is the person speaking to you wearing a Ron Paul badge? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, really. Like I, I was when I was reading this report without doing any research into Clover. The first like six paragraphs, I was like. I don't know about this, but you know maybe it's interesting. And then when I got to that, I was like, oh my god, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> is it somebody? Is it somebody in the Pepe like Telegram group? Yeah. Because this is essentially what they're saying, you know. Consider
0: your biases. You yeah,
2: it? yeah. Like Isabella, because you know, like they're, the people that they're mad at all the time, like the bloggers at FT Alpha Bill. You know, they <laughs> like, oh they're biased. And we're like, no, they're reporters, and the news is bad, so they're reporting bad news. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, forever, most of the interesting news is going to be bad. Forever, most of these dudes are going to be freaking out. I feel like I wish that crypto could get a slightly or healthier respect for journalists, not because I think like it's some horrible thing to not respect journalists or to not be into this kind of coverage, but because it would suggest that they understood better like what reporters are doing when they do their job, which is like they're not like supposed to report like press release it like it's just a, like a misperception of what a journalist might be interested in about cryptocurrencies yeah.
2: yeah yeah it's uh i don't know I, I think that that's just like a nationwide thing right now don't you like uh, did you see like this person at a bleacher report did a did a story on adrian peterson and it turns out adrian peterson after being uh sort of you know oh yeah yeah it was revealed that after being in a ton of court trouble for being his kid he's still being his kid and then adrian peterson at the end was like oh the reporter got me all comfortable and got me talking <laughs> and i said this yeah. and that's you know like that's ridiculous it's bad journalism and it's like
0: what <laughs> like that's a lot I of people around everybody- crypto too <laughs> they're like what i was just talking to this dude on the phone <laughs>
2: Yeah. It seemed, seemed cool. Or the people who support it being like, this very damning quote must have been coerced out of this person and be like, yeah, it's called reporting. And like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just find that to be so prevalent, which is why, you know, I am officially not a journalist anymore. It's it's just too different. I mean, I obviously am, but. I,
0: I don't think any of this stuff is like gonna get in. I mean, I do think it actually matters in so far as like people like our parents. Like there was a period where like people I knew were getting interested in Bitcoin and the mainstream media's like turn against Bitcoin has like dampened any of that enthusiasm which probably in the long run is not very good for Bitcoin's price that there aren't like a bunch of retired people who are like maybe I should have some Bitcoin in my portfolio all you need is like a certain number of sort of damning reports and I feel like that dream kind of dies.
2: Yeah. 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 Do you I, think
0: do you think that's short-sighted though? Probably it is.
2: Uh I don't know, maybe.
0: I mean Bitcoin investments are just gonna get shoved into their portfolio like through the back door by some like fund manager through like differently named products that like obscure the fact that you're really holding uh, crypto, just like universities and all kinds of family offices are holding crypto now. I feel like people are going to end up doing it without even knowing. <laughs> yeah, it. is
2: crypto is, is going to be the new like South African apartheid investment?
0: <laughs> yeah, people have no idea what the uh, fuck they're I... holding. Like if it like continues to be profitable, which it certainly is over like anything except the last year, it's going to get like worked into that stuff. I don't even know if like really like inter- like person to person interest matters that much. Do you think it matters like whether people are like asking about it?
2: Yeah, I, I actually, I, I don't think that the thing that you are talking about is going to
0: happen. Oh, interesting.
2: Actually, I, you know, I've, I was listening to one of our old episodes recently, and I think I had like a solid, if, solidification of a take. Like, I think I have a full take now yeah. on this. You're, you're, you're willing to, I think you're willing
0: what, to um, dip this take in pewter?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I've, laughs> I'm I'm Lacquering it up, and I'm ready to put it on the on the (laughs) trophy wall of takes, (laughs) along with uh, other 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 Kang takes that have been completely lacquered up. Are like you know the old uh, the market is only itself, and uh, nothing influences it; it just moves on its own as its own autonomous state. That was I think.
0: I think my plaque is "Crypto is for lonely people." Aaron Lambert
2: (laughs) (laughs) and Bitcoin ten thousand by the end of 2018. Yeah. Um, I think that the lacquered uptake that I have essentially is that I really don't think that this future is going to be through any, like when crypto comes back, I don't think it's going to be through, it might be partially through Bitcoin, but I don't think it's going to be through Ethereum or any existing project and that there will be something new that comes along that solves a lot of these problems that doesn't have the baggage and that 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 is the thing that people are going to get excited about. You're
0: talking about Initiative Q right now, yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's not a cryptocurrency.
0: <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, so I don't think that crypto is going to sort of become this background, you know, investment noise. I, I think that there will be some other craze, but you know, the thing that that it is has not revealed itself yet. I just I just have a hard time believing that that what it is right now will stabilize at some point where it'll be worthwhile for people to have that in their investment portfolios.
0: I uh, I'm going to take the other side of that bet. I don't think it's going to be a big percentage, but I think eventually uh in the next couple of years it's going to start being like a you know just something that like it's not strange that you like get a bundle of tech stocks and some sort of bitcoin futures as some sort of ETF. Uh I think it'll eventually come about. But it it uh does speak to you, one of your other uh lacquered takes, which is uh, that all of these exchanges and markets are deeply manipulated. I feel like that's yeah. basically what being said about why there can't be an ETF. They're like, no, we're not going to let you have an ETF when like these markets are being so widely manipulated and like there's all sorts of wash trading on these exchanges that like totally allows for a wild west thing to be going on.
2: I feel like it's general. Like I understand what they're saying about that, <laughs> but I think it's generally unfair given the types of ETFs that exist right it's now true. and how easy it is to bake one. I mean, I was talking to a guy, and he was saying that like if you have a friend who works at a brokerage, basically you can have like an ETF made. And so, like, we could actually just name our money laundering ETF something different, and if we knew somebody who could do that, we could just have it made. I It's true.
0: All this, like, weed penny stock stuff makes all this, like, crypto stuff look, like, official and above board. It's not like these people's hands are clean. Yeah, and there are
2: weed ETFs all over the place. Yeah, there's so many. It
0: only only becomes, like, very hand-riggy when it's about crypto. Other, like, deeply shady financial products are, like, totally allowed.
2: Yeah, yeah. For example, like, Allowing a bunch of like teenagers to buy short term high volatility options (laughs) on Robinhood and play them like a video game, like that is probably worse overall than just having people hold some Bitcoin for a while. And that's all totally legal. Like, I don't know if teenagers can do it, but they're just doing it and nobody cares. Well, one
0: of the futures that didn't happen that we thought might happen early on was are sort of like um south korean um everyone trading on their cell phones like a video game fantasy uh that was everyone you know it was going to be like a like the uh, a gaming yeah, why, craze why why do you think that didn't happen cuz the shit um, cuz the thing everyone was trading was crap <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened it was like and it turned out they were all crap and they all okay. went down into the toilet all at once at the same time so you weren't really gambling on which alt you liked. You were gambling on: Are you holding an alt right now as the market crashes? Yeah, but like, don't you think that something like a place like Bitrex or something like that could have
2: made something? I mean, Bitrex was trying to make it in Korea with Kakao Talk, right? Why didn't they make
0: an app like that? I, I think it. I think it's still a plan. I think they're they're building that stuff. I mean, I think it's like you know in the works. It's just no one wants to like gamified trade in like a terrible bear market like it's only really fun to be trading that way when the market's going through the roof okay uh
2: speaking of going through the roof like I I did have a I have a question for you okay, okay so I, I I'm going to assume that you have thrown in the towel on your prediction that bitcoin would hit ten thousand dollars by the end of this year
0: um yeah <laughs> I mean <laughs> I'm not feeling like warrior is good about it to me, okay. that's a like um, Denver Nuggets to win the NBA championship kind of bet. Uh, I,
2: I think it's much worse than that. I think it's like the Phoenix Suns <laughs> to win the NBA
0: championship. I mean, we still got a, a, a lot that can happen in a month. But yes, we it would have, have to be a month. two and a half <laughs> X month. So I'm going to say that one looks distant, distant at this okay. point.
2: Uh, my question is not that. Like, <laughs> that one I, I take as a given. Do you think that Bitcoin will hit ten thousand by the end of two thousand nineteen?
0: End of two thousand nineteen. Yes, I do. I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, I, do you think
2: it'll hit one
0: thousand as well? Well, uh, no. I think it'll probably hit three thousand, but I don't think it'll hit one thousand. I think I went on uh, Ledger Status's podcast this week and we talked about this. Yeah, was that? It was yeah. fun. He's good at like um, easily dispelling my like dumb ideas so that we actually can talk about the actual thing. But
2: um, wait, should, wait, that sounds like that sounds that sounds like it would be helpful for our podcast. Well, it would. And
0: so he was like, look, you know, ex- expect a lot of ranging over the next year or so. It seems like we're probably going to at some point like see like a 6,000 kind of stability again. But before that, we could easily go down to 3,000. If we go down to three thousand, there's like not a lot of space between there 1800 So I'm prepared to see all of these things, but I do think yes that we'll see a ten thousand somewhere in there. Okay, I, 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 I certainly I hope so. I mean, I ought to sell now if we're not going to see that. Yeah,
2: I don't really have an opinion on it or not.
0: So, so you're not going to buy it. The thirty three hundred is not is no longer a buy. The Kang Lion is a uh, is not live.
2: No, I'm going to buy it if it hits 3,300. It just never hit 3,300. Are you
0: rooting for it to hit 3,300? 3, are you preferring sending this one out?
2: Uh, I would rather it not hit 3,300. <laughs> That's
0: what I. Why, well, yeah. Tell me why.
2: Uh, because I am.
0: You don't want that drama in your life.
2: Okay, well, let, let's think back to when Bitcoin was around 3,300 or 5,000 or yep. even 7,000. My strategy was always different than yours, if you remember. Like I was trying to scalp profits and not get wrecked, right? Yes. And at some point, FOMO came out and I just bought everything and never sold anything and just kept buying more and more and more, right? Um, I think I'm back in that early stage, right? And I just think that at that point, if I bought at 3,300 and got back in and the market went up 30%, I would just sell everything. And then I'd have some sort of tax situation on my hands that I didn't want to deal with. And then I would get mad that I had that tax situation on my hands. And then, you know, like, and that I, I just have a feeling that that's what would happen. And, you know, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I am a man of my word. <laughs> and I said, I would buy at 3,300 And so I will, and you know I don't think it's a bad buy point. But you know, as we said, uh, none of this is financial advice. Just because you and I have no idea what we're talking about, and you know, it might be. (laughs)
0: Well, Ledger, who knows way more what he's talking about than us, also has no idea what's going to happen. So I think we're all united in kind of having no idea what's happening. Do you want to? um, Do you want to talk to this guest? Yeah. Um, Okay. This is uh, we're going to call Eric Townsend. He's actually someone. Uh, who uh, ledger status uh, recommended giving a call? Uh, we're going to see uh, see what he's talking about. Uh, welcome, Eric Townsend.
1: Ple- pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You have a new book out. I, I'm going to start a new policy on this show, which is uh, plug the book up front, so I can't possibly forget it at the end. What is the name of the book, <laughs> and, and where can people find it?
1: The name of the book is Beyond Blockchain, The Death of the Dollar and the Rise of Digital Currency. It's available now in paperback, audiobook, and Kindle. And uh, right now, as we speak, Amazon is running a a sale on it, which was without my consent. Uh, So I don't know what's going on there.
2: We have no control over that.
0: Yeah. Is a sale against your consent, a form of censorship resistance <laughs> or a form of censorship? Does it prove
2: that we need decentralized Amazon?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to let it happen. Uh, I wanted to get the book out there anyway, but uh, the one thing I did want to mention, though, is the audiobook version is not on Amazon because Amazon kind of rips authors off on audiobooks. So macrovoices.com forward slash BB for Beyond Blockchain is where you can find the link to the audiobook. And the the Kindle version and the paperback are on Amazon, uh, artificially discounted as we speak. I don't know how long that's going to last.
0: Okay, everyone go pick those up. Jay and I have read the introduction and skimmed around it, which makes us uh, in a perfect place to ask ignorant questions, which is something of our shtick on this show. So the very first thing that interested me about your ideas is I'm just going to encapsulate like almost everyone we've encountered while doing this show. Almost everyone we've encountered believes that government should collapse and be replaced with an entirely new crypto system. Uh, Steak should be eaten widely. And uh, that we should basically only consider a Bitcoin maximalist or at least crypto maximalist future. And in your writing, you present like a pretty different possible vision uh, for crypto uh, arranged around the idea of governments uh, controlling digital currencies or issuing digital currencies. So what does a government issued digital currency look like?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to mention that in a perfect world, I love the concept as a libertarian, the idea of the private sector coining its own money competing with government-issued currency and, you know, it just sounds wonderful.
0: Jay, I thought we had our first non-libertarian guest, but we're still over 37. You
1: know, you, you, what are you going to do? But here's the thing, I'm I'm a realist before I'm a libertarian. And as much as the Bitcoin maximalists want to believe that there's nothing government can do, they think government is powerless to stop it. That's nonsense. Government's not powerless. Government is clueless. And the reason that they haven't done anything to outlaw cryptocurrency is because they've barely even begun to figure out what it is. But they're slowly starting to wake up. And what I realized is... We really need to separate the question of how will the invention of digital currency, digital cash, which was invented by Satoshi and the Bitcoin guys, how is that going to change the world, which I'm convinced it's going to change the world in profound ways, and separate that from the question of whether or not the cryptocurrency pipe dream, the libertarian pipe dream of private sector money competing with and winning out over government-issued money is really going to happen or not and I predict that what happens is government wakes up and recognizes hey this is a gift horse that's been looking us in the mouth for 10 years and we've been so slow and stupid we haven't figured it out but what we need to do is outlaw bitcoin and create government issued digital currencies that have probably unfortunately the exact opposite design goals so where bitcoin was designed to take power away from government Feels good, sounds good, but technology is a double-edged sword. You can equally well design a digital currency to give more power and control to government, and I fear that that's the direction that we're most likely to be headed in.
2: When I hear you talking about that timeline or or that sort of uh, a sort of choice that people in cryptocurrency have to make, and and you know two divergent paths, like it does seem to me that there are a few projects that are. Based around central banks, like you know, Ripple, for example, would be one. Why do you think these two things are mutually exclusive? Because I think that you know, just from listening to you, it does make sense to me that a small, dedicated number of people could be working on a project that they want to overthrow the global monetary system. And we can debate whether or not that's realistic. I tend to side with you that it probably is never going to happen, but. At the same time, you know, those people are never going to work for the government. You know, those people aren't going to work for Ripple. Like, it seems like what you're describing to me is the current ecosystem in a way.
1: Well, it's not at all two mutually exclusive paths. It's actually three competing forces that will influence an outcome that could go in any direction. So you've got foreign governments that their agenda really is not about digital currency. It's about getting the dollar out of the center of the global financial system. Digital currency is a means to an end. You've got the Bitcoin-topia guys who've got their view. And you've got a view that central bankers are just barely starting to wake up to. And it, it was amazing for me just on the day that my book came out that Christine Lagarde did exactly what I predicted central bankers would do, which is to say, hey, we need to start recognizing that digital currency technology is not something we should react to, like, do we like the fact that Bitcoin was designed to disempower us? Rather, we should take the bull by the horns, and we should design something that empowers us, the central bankers, to be in charge of the global financial system. That's just getting started.
0: Can I zoom backwards here? I want to I take it. Oh, Jay, will you come back with me to our very early days on this show? So I think about, like, what I thought about Bitcoin in the, like, first 10 hours that I thought about it, which is in some ways, I think, more useful than everything I've thought since then. When I first heard about it, I was like, oh, okay, fake internet money. It's not the center channel. It's not the global reserve currency. It's like this side pot that, like, will get bigger and bigger, and at some point, maybe it'll be bigger than a medium-sized country, and it'll always be this sort of alternate channel. And what I feel like I think I'm hearing you say is it's like a battle to the death, like that cryptocurrencies, digital currencies can't like coexist. One of these things will ultimately destroy the other.
1: Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are definitely designed, as you say, as that side pot. They're not a major you know, global currency system. They are an alternative to government issued money. I think yeah. that what's going to happen is government is going to wake up and say, wait a minute, this technology is really cool, not for the reasons that the Bitcoin guys love it, but for an opposite set of reasons, which wait, is just I, as I, easy.
0: I, just, I want to clarify one thing here. What like, I have money in a bank account right now right? that's not like physically in my possession. How would a digital currency uh, issued by the U.S. government look different than, say, U.S. dollars in a bank account? Describe to me like, what that leap is and what kinds of increased capabilities that currency would have.
1: You can design a digital currency system where government is easily able to trace and monitor and control every single transfer so that for every penny of wealth that exists anywhere in the financial system, the government can tell who's got it, where they got it from, when they got it, and under what conditions it was given to them. Wait
0: a minute, isn't that isn't that Bitcoin though? Like I feel like all of the like crime stuff that's come out recently has been like you can peer right into the Bitcoin ledger and you can see where every Bitcoin has ever been. Unintentionally, Bitcoin does do a lot of those things, right?
1: Well, and the 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 difference is that the Bitcoin system was designed to be pseudonymous to make it more difficult for government to monitor, control, and oversee the private affairs of, uh, of, you know, the financial affairs of private citizens. Either way, regardless of how successful they may have been at it, they were trying to take power away from government in order to protect the privacy of the people using the system. The difference between, you know, green dollar bills and, let's say, Bitcoin tokens— is every Bitcoin token has to exist in some Bitcoin address at any moment in time. And it's difficult to tell who owns that Bitcoin address, or it's a little bit difficult to tell. It's harder to tell with Monero. But if you're talking about a green dollar bill, you don't know who's got it. You know, it, 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 it could go anywhere. What digital currency technology does is it opens the door for an Orwellian outcome where we have a government-issued currency system and nobody can do anything without the government knowing about it. Now, I don't think that's a good thing for humanity. My contention is government-issued digital currency is coming whether we like it or not. So the choice for the smartest guys in the crypto community is either to say, okay, we may not like this, but if we're involved with it, we can influence the outcome and make it better than it would have been otherwise. If you don't do that, what you're going to get is the result of government doing its own thing without anybody from the crypto movement involved. And I think that that leads to a much more Orwellian output potential.
0: Feel like this is all a good commercial for the Coin Center.
2: But here's the thing: like, I I don't disagree with your assessment of what may be coming, but I don't understand why that would not be more incentive for people who have these beliefs to double down on the idea of a separate cryptocurrency that could be used, you know, with like minded people. And I don't think that if you ask, you know, there, there's all sorts of types of money transactions that happen that people don't want tracked right that, that that in fact if they were tracked that these people would end up in trouble or they would you know they would have part of their privacy compromise. like what, why isn't that world more of an argument for Bitcoin like why, why is it a argument for capitulation?
1: Oh I think it is in many ways the fact that the cat is out of the bag and that Satoshi's invention of double spend proof digital cash and distributed ledger, now enables governments to create something very scary. That is going to further embolden the, the crypto maximalist uh, viewpoint for sure. The thing is, I think that they're going to face some headwinds that they're not ready for. A lot of people in the Bitcoin-topia community are convinced that government is powerless to do anything. And the argument they usually make is, look, Bitcoin is a protocol on a network. You can't outlaw a protocol. Well, it's true that it would be next to impossible to outlaw the existence of the Bitcoin network. What you can do is you can outlaw the conversion of fiat currency into or out of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Now, you certainly can't stop it completely. There will always be a black market for uh digital currency and i think bitcoin will exist forever and ever no matter what the government does but government can be very effective if they outlaw cryptocurrency and all it takes to get political support to do that is just to announce that it is in the interest of fighting terrorism yeah false flag
0: (laughs) going back to your idea about the global reserve currency so you present all the reasons people are pissed off about the u.s being the global reserve currency and all of the ways that someone who creates a digital currency could become the reserve currency. But if another nation becomes the reserve currency, won't we be sort of replicating this problem, just like passing the baton off to, you know, the crypto ruble or or the uh, uh, crypto, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a Chinese uh, digital c- currency? Um, like, isn't the idea that having a country being the global reserve currency is a problem and argument for Bitcoin becoming the global reserve currency?
1: I don't think, first of all, what makes the, the definition of what the global reserve currency is is the currency that central banks favor for denominating their reserve assets. Reserve assets are like the savings account or piggy bank for an entire country. It's the yep. emergency money that they, or the emergency assets that they sell in a crisis to raise cash in order to defend their own currency to prevent it from collapsing. So we're really talking about decisions <laughs> of central bankers. So for Bitcoin to become the global reserve currency would require central bankers around the world saying, eh, forget about U.S. Treasury bonds. I'd rather have Bitcoin. Uh, I, I don't see Mark Carney from the Bank of England that but conclusion. couldn't couldn't
0: the people who are complaining about the US now like move to bitcoin almost as a strategic mover maneuver against i'm not saying this is going to happen like tomorrow but just to project the bitcoin future all these people who are fed up with US, with the US hegemony could move to Bitcoin as an attack on the dollar at some point I know this is crazy but we're just playing uh, we're playing like uh, the third degree sequel of this movie
1: it's really not crazy but it's limited in scope so you're already seeing this where you know one of the things that you need to do or one of the things that people want to do it's not as central bank reserve assets but just for international trade settlement the Swift payment network is basically the world's global uh, wire transfer network, and even though it is supposedly owned by a Belgian consortium and is supposed to be an independent entity, the U.S. government is able to uh, threaten them and get them to do just about anything that they want. I didn't even so, know it was
0: supposed to be uh, independent. I just assumed that it was run by the U.S. government.
1: You know, it's funny. I've actually heard U.S. officials announce on you know on television. We're going to withhold access to our Swift payment network. It's like your Swift payment network. It's owned <laughs> by a Belgian consortium, dude. <laughs> you know what are you talking yeah, about? But,
0: like when Venezuela or Iran gets kicked off of Swift, that wasn't a like decision by a Belgian board. That was a decision by the American government, right?
1: Well, it was actually a sequence. It was a decision by a Belgian board of directors to allow Iran to stay in the SWIFT system because they had not been sanctioned by the UN. And as far as most countries around the world were concerned, they hadn't done anything wrong. So SWIFT made that decision, and immediately the Senate Banking Committee, the U.S. government, said, oh, really, maybe we need to draft some sanctions against SWIFT itself. And SWIFT said, oh, oh, we we changed our mind. Okay, we'll play ball. And they kicked Iran out of the system. So it is through coercion and threats that the U.S. government has bullied the SWIFT network to do whatever it says. And what was really amazing, you know, Russia and China have been complaining about this for years and years. And it's not just China and Russia anymore. It's Europe now.
2: Eric, I have have one last question for you, which is, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with you that I find it hard to believe that governments will not harness the power of cryptocurrency. And in your book, you mentioned that Russia and China are already doing this and that the U.S. is behind. What I also find hard to believe is that they couldn't do this without the help of the Bitcoin maximalists. And I also find it hard to believe that the Bitcoin maximalists would capitulate and go work for these governments. I mean, why do you think it's necessary for these guys to go work for like the U.S. government or for China or for Russia to make like an even more Orwellian, as you put it, form of money?
1: I I think that you know it's there's a there's a lot of different moving pieces in that question. It's not a, an all for one and one for all. First of all, you've already got people like, for instance, Mike Hearn was a, a major Bitcoin contributor, blockchain inventor. Now he's Working on permissioned distributed ledger for R three in New York. So and, and I don't know him. I, I, I only know a little bit about his background. My point is, some of the early pioneers of blockchain are now working on permissioned distributed ledger, which is kind of the the antichrist uh, of uh, is a, is Ripple a permission technology. ledger?
0: Would would yes. that qualify? Yes. Okay. So everything from like Ripple to a government currency should would be filed under the permission ledger
1: exactly and you know it, you're already seeing a few of the guys who were major leaders in the in the invention of blockchain refocus their energy on permissioned ledgers so that's one thing that's going on at the same time i think what you're seeing china and russia are very active you know b- b- sergei glazyev giving keynote speeches to a blockchain conference people's bank of china filing more patents related to digital currency than anybody else in 2017 They're getting interested in all this stuff because they're trying to figure out if we want to upstage the U.S. dollar and displace it as the world's global reserve currency, is there a way for us to use digital currency technology to make that happen? And I don't think they necessarily have some specific grand scheme that they're working towards. I think it's more exploration at this point. Meanwhile, at some point... The U.S. government is going to wake up, and I do not predict that all of the Bitcoin maximalists are going to suddenly defect and go to work for them. What I am predicting is that we're going to get to this beat em or join them question at some point where the people in the crypto space, the, the brightest engineers that have been involved in designing and building cryptocurrency systems are going to face a, cho- a choice, which is those cryptocurrency systems are, uh, let's say hypothetically, are being outlawed by government. So it becomes a felony to you know build and, and, and launch cryptocurrencies and, and continue to offer them and so forth. And there's plenty of opportunity, very high-paying opportunity, to go work for the private co- contractors that are building government-issued digital currency. And thing I liken it to is in, back in the late 70s, when I was a teenager uh, spending a lot of time at MIT, the grad students I met there were, you know, the Vietnam War was was a recent memory. It was over, but it was uh, almost everybody that was in university was kind of anti-war in their personal sentiment. But if you were studying engineering, all the cool jobs were in defense contracting and building weapon systems and so forth. And they didn't want to be part of it, but they wanted to work on the cool engineering. I think that what it's going to come down to for crypto engineers at some point in the future is there's this illegal stuff that has become outright illegal as opposed to right now it's a little bit anti-government but it's still legal it's still gray legal, legal. gray legal it, it's gray legal when it becomes clear black no doubt about it you are committing a felony in order to continue working on the stuff you want to be working on or you could take your skills and be very well paid for it working on a government-issued digital currency, working probably for a private contractor that's engineering it. And by the way, if you're there doing that, you might have the opportunity as a result of being involved with it to influence the outcome so it's at least a little bit closer to Satoshi's view of the world and not uh, George Orwell's version of what the world could look like.
0: Well, wait a minute, Eric. We all know Satoshi's view is represented by the Bitcoin cash satoshi's vision fork so that that one's been settled
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i i I think it's right there
0: it's right there on the label (laughs) so i'll let you go final uh final question here how does it feel launching a book into a bear market this book is uh uh just coming out and we are i hope at the bottom of a massive massive slide
1: it's frustrating as hell, and it's ironic, the reason. One of the things that the book predicts is this slide. So, you know, in theory, I ought to be celebrating like, hey, my book came out and correctly predicted exactly what's Kafka-esque going on. Kafkaesque
0: nightmare you're involved in here.
1: But it's not working out that way because what's happening is most people are incorrectly just from the title. It's got blockchain in its name, and they're assuming it's another crypto blockchain book. The book is not about cryptocurrency and blockchain. The book is about why cryptocurrency is not nearly as likely as most people assume to play a large role in the digital currency revolution that most people don't even understand yet. And uh, I did predict that Bitcoin would continue to sell off dramatically. That has now proven itself true, and I don't get credit for making that prediction. So it's frustrating.
0: Well, we uh, we have been making fun of Bitcoin for a whole year on this show. We probably uh, brought about this bear market, and we're not getting any credit either. So uh, we can have a certain solidarity amongst ourselves as people creating quasi crypto media at a time when really people don't want to hear about crypto but the good thing about a book is uh, uh it'll still be on the shelves uh as we're uh, recrossing uh, bitcoin twenty thousand dollars in the near future
1: okay <laughs> sounds good
0: um all right well um where can people find you if they want to like follow like you twitter newsletter anything
1: yeah, you know, the best place to follow me is macrovoices.com. I host a macroeconomics podcast. We have very little digital currency go. content, but uh it's macrovoices.com or you can subscribe in iTunes. The show comes out every Thursday evening. And uh you can also follow me on Twitter at Eric S. Townsend. Uh that's E R I K S like Scott Townsend, T O W N S E N D.
0: Thank you so much for this
1: interview. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Sunday, December
0: 2nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $4,131. Coin Talk was edited by James Nicholson. I'm Aaron Lammer. My co-host is Jay Kang. Our partners are at Medium. You can find all of the episodes of this show at medium.com slash coin talk. That includes transcripts. If you enjoy Medium, give the gift of Medium this holiday season, medium.com slash gift. It's 50 bucks. You can give someone a whole year of Medium. We'll
1: see you next week.